Welcome back, or welcome to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. Thank you for joining us here today. We have a great episode for you. I had the opportunity to speak to Butch Thompson, the head coach at Auburn University, head baseball coach there. Coach Thompson, I've had a couple opportunities to touch base with him at past clinics, reached out to him through email, called him, texted him, got a chance to talk to him a couple times about different things, and so it was really nice to be able to circle back and ask him for this opportunity to be able to speak to him about his program, about how he develops his pitchers, what they're doing right now in their program, and people who know Coach Thompson know that he is much more than just a baseball coach. He's a servant leader, knows what he knows how to, and believes in creating better men and using our great game to help guys when they're finished with the game. And um, a lot of that comes out in this in this conversation. So for those people who don't know Coach Thompson, um, he's also he's currently the head coach at Auburn University. He's also a former pitching coach and associate head coach at Mississippi State College. <laughs> coach Thompson has turned 31 pitchers who went undrafted out of high school and got them into the major league draft, including one number one overall pick in the 2018 draft, Casey Mice. In 2006, he was the Fellowship Christian Athletes SEC Coach of the Year. He is the 2014 Baseball America and American Baseball Coach Association, the ABCA, National Assistant Coach of the Year. Uh, he serves as the large school representative for the Alabama Baseball Coaches Association. He's in all, the, one of the All-American committees for the South Region for the, MS, for the ABCA. But like I said, he's a servant leader to many. He's a mentor to many coaches. You hear his name come up a lot with other people who are on the same mission of, you know, helping guys out more than just baseball and, and creating a great environment for their players to succeed, not only in baseball, but after. And, um, you know, I'm just really fortunate to be able to speak to this incredible person. He's always willing to share. He's a great storyteller um, and really knows how to communicate ideas that helps people get to where they want to be uh, and, and creates the great visual of them to be able to understand what he's trying to teach. And, um, you know, I was really fortunate to have a great conversation and I you know, hope you enjoy it. Um, great things to look forward to through all his talks of pitching, um, what they're doing culturally and the three and their values in their program, different things they've done in their program um, to help help their young men and develop the culture there at Auburn. He, again, one of the reoccurring things and talks about how he's helping guys become their best coach. He talks about their drop-down. Coach Thompson's really kind of famous for his drop-down guys, and he had a drop-down camp and, you know, started to really um, use a lot of those. And we touched base about, you know, his submarine guys and how he teaches those things and getting into the mechanics of that. Um, so the, the baseball side was really good. And um, something I've, I've talked to him in the, in the past about is his piggyback pitching system where he basically trains two starters to go in a game and then how he's just given roles for all his pitchers. So, again, there's a lot of things. I hope you enjoy it. Um, please share this episode um, on iTunes, Podbean, any kind of social media for anybody that would be find some value in it. And I hope you continue to find value in it. Uh, you can even ask, uh, email me or Coach Thompson. Coach Thompson, 
Uh, he'll go through over his emails, but it's butchthompson at auburn.edu. Thompson at auburn.edu. It's the best way to contact him. He'll talk about that in the episode as well. And again, if you have any feedback for me and guests or you know topics that I'd like to cover, anything I can do better, uh, you can feel free to reach out to me at treytcobb at gmail.com. So without further ado, I'd love to get rolling with our newest episode here with head coach at Auburn University, Butch Thompson. I think that's the big thing. And I just, I don't want anybody here that doesn't want to be here. And, you know, if it's playing time and all the outfielders come back, let's help you get somewhere, you know, as opposed to like, you need to stay, you need to leave. It's been more like, hey, where do you want to be? And we'll help you with that. So okay. At some point, we got to come back in and, you know, take charge and, mm-hmm. and figure it out and put our print on it. But honestly, with this uniqueness, it's been more like, hey, what's best for you? You know, that's and you've had you've had guys want to. You felt found pl- other places for them, is what you're saying? Yeah, you know, we, a four year starter that we just got to Arizona State. Okay. And, uh, you know, he's paid twenty grand a year for four years, and seven siblings, and they really can't afford it again. So, you know, and it's like, hey, I need a fool to come back, and I'm like, well, you know, that's hard to pay for a DH in the Southeastern Conference when we don't have the lottery and the extra funds compared to our peers some of your counterparts sure we can't we can't you know fully scholarship a, a dh so mm. how can I help you and you know he gets to go play as a grad transfer at arizona state and kind of hurts you know we've been through a lot and he's been in there from day one it seemed like the right thing to do but it wasn't the easy thing to do to be mm. honest with you uh, sure so that's the the reality starting to sit in. Now that this draft is taking place, yeah, here yeah. comes reality. We've just been playing the waiting game, but once the draft happened, all right, it, it got real all of a sudden, you know. And uh, you guys got an expanded rosters now too, right? You guys, that's right. So I think the NCAA giving everybody a year back, um, allowing us to be unlimited for one year. Um, you know, taking away the the minimum, the twenty five percent, allowing you to go from twenty seven to thirty two players on scholarship if needed. Um, all that's that's been helpful. Um, I like the Gideon's Army thing too. You know, I don't. I hate seeing ten guys down there. You know, not enjoying life. The yeah. kid, kids want to play. Absolutely. Having one of the small. If I got this, some of the smallest scholarship instead of complaining, I just need to have one of the smallest rosters. Gideon's army and we need to be out developing everybody else that's that's coaching 12 more players you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so trying to figure all that out is what we're trying to do so how do you do that with your recruits and stuff like that too have you had to find find a place for them as well I mean I'm sure that's been really tough as well so tough too Really hard, you know. A couple incomers were able to go back to their junior colleges. Oh, okay. That's a good thing. Yeah. And we took a freshman shortstop that got through the draft that was a junior college. So we just, you love when it works out because seldom does it. So we gave them one of our signees that was out of high school to go to that specific junior college. So there's so many junior colleges that usually go somewhere else. So mm-hmm. this worked out to where we take one of their guys as a freshman, but then we give a, give them one of our incoming signees. I wish it could work like that more often, but yeah, that's nice. 
for the most part, things have been pretty, pretty seamless, but mm-hmm. fun. How do you feel like you'll start in the fall? Like, especially like with your pitchers, like how, what do you think you'll, you can kind of start from zero or you're going to try to try to down running. Like, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts there? We got about half the program that's out playing some type of summer ball. Okay. Now, it's not in the Cape and it's not, you know, in host families, but it's kind of the localized, like old school where you, yeah. where you drive a couple hours, you play and then you go back home. Um, so we got guys playing, but I always like for pitchers to throw two out of three phases, meaning if they play the spring and they play the summer, I give them a huge break in the fall. Okay. But I feel like we played, you know, we've been off a few months. So I, uh, I I'm going to ask everybody that's pitching in the spring to pitch in the fall. Cause I think we missed so much in the spring. So, yeah. Well, yeah, your two out of three would still, I guess, still hit with the summer and then the fall and then they'd be off, I guess, the winter. That's right. And what Auburn did, and I think a lot of schools are looking at this, once our guys leave for the Thanksgiving break, they will not come back until January. You usually have Thanksgiving, everybody comes back for a couple more weeks and you do your final exams. Um, Auburn's made a decision that when they leave for Thanksgiving, they will basically do their final exams online. And I think that has to do because of international students, of students that might be on the West Coast, you know, not go home for Thanksgiving and get on a plane and come back and then go back, you know, for the Christmas break. So once we get to Thanksgiving, we're done. So <laughs> there's so much time built in. I'm like, let's play all summer. Let's play all fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as school starts, we're going to get right into it. Um, because I don't know if there's going to be any breaks, if there's any spikes or mm-hmm. forbid any of us get contract coronavirus while we're playing. If there's enough of us, they might, shut us down for a couple of weeks. So yeah. we'll go right into playing. If we, if we said we were going to wait, 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 and then crank up and get shut down, you know, we, we'd put the whole fall in, in balance, you know, it would, it would uh, could affect our whole fall. So sure. Sure. Who knows what's going to happen with all this stuff. I know. <laughs> I know. It's been a, and there's so many that, that I think just the, like what you're saying with the recruits and, now, like, there's so many trickle diff- effects with all of these things. There's a ripple effect with all of this stuff. Yeah, and I think it impacts us next year, too. I think the 21 class, I, I don't think this is the tipping point. From baseball, I'm not talking about disease or anything like that. I just, from a college baseball standpoint, we're making adjustments right now, but this isn't the tipping point. It, it's going to be more adjustments next year, and we're going to need APR help, and I don't know where that tipping point is, but it, it's yeah. probably – well, it's just like you said, it's only for, it's only like the one-year deal. So next year, a lot of those things are out. You go back. We got to go back. And less, you know, less, less funding. And I'm like, and that's, that is, that's going to be even a bigger challenge for you guys. Yeah. More challenges that baseball men are very prepared for. That's for sure. You're a very servant leader, you know, and you love to serve. And so how do, how do your, how do you instill that in your players? Uh, force it. <laughs> force it on them. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is like, okay, if uh, let me get on my coach speak out of the way and then get down to it. So right. if a coach sits here and, you know, he's trying to play holier than now and he goes like, all right, it's not about me. All right, so let's get that statement out of the way. Well, that's good. All right, so what's next? What does that mean? Let's define that a little bit deeper. 
um, then it's like, okay, so who are we really trying to develop? You know, you're always trying to take care of yourself. I was talking to my players yesterday and I'm like, here's why I want you to take care of you before you're making an impact on the person to the left and to the right. It's like, it's like they tell you on an airplane, Hey, when the gas mask falls, put it on you first. Mm -hmm. And that's how you're going to be able to help somebody else. Because if you're in a panic and all you're trying to do is help somebody else and then you pass out, <laughs> you're both in trouble. Mm -hmm. So get it on yourself, get yourself breathing good, and then you help the person to your right or to your left. Um, so we got to take care of ourselves, number one. But for myself, you know, my days are over. I'm hitting the half century mark this year. And uh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, there's a little batting practice left in me, but there's not, you know, <laughs> no games, no pitches, no at bats. And, you know, if we're really trying to make a return trip back to, you know, Omaha in the College World Series, you know, I won't be a part of that. Um, I'll be encouraging others to make that happen. And so my point during the quarantine, it has been the toughest time for a lot of us of not being on the field, not being with your players, not that the development of the game. And basically all I'm left with is their ethos, their, the character of a person. I can work on that. Uh, I can just help them maybe mentally process their game, who they are, um, what techniques maybe that we can be be doing and, and grow their mind. So, you know, I, I told you earlier as we were visiting that, you know, we brought in 20 guest speakers. And mm -hmm. I, I know each and every one of those speakers is not connecting to, you know, all 40 ball players. But out of those 20, you know, there might have been a phrase, there might have been something that each and every person caught at one point in time. So that was that was one goal and one thing to try to build guys up. Uh, a couple of other things is, um, you know, I, since we've gotten to Auburn, we I brought three words because I was an assistant for 23 years. I was ready to be <laughs> to be a head coach. In all honesty, um, I sharpened my axe enough. I had all these visions in my head that I couldn't wait if given the opportunity to thrust out there on the scene. So I always had three words in my mind. It was attack, legacy, vision. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've run that for five years. And I love the book Legacy by James Carr, uh, but it's spelled K-E-R-R. Uh, it's about the New Zealand rugby team. And mm -hmm. you know, I guess that's the winning a sports team in, in history or whatever, like 86% clip. And you could put other great organizations, whoever you think's the best in there. But it talks about companies. Uh, you eventually are teams. You grow, grow, grow. And eventually you enter decline. But between growth and decline, right there, that little – that gap, <laughs> um, we want to go for that. And I think the best organizations, um, I think they change while they're on top. Um, why they're on top? You said that? I don't. Yeah, I think you change while you're on top. I don't think you wait for decline. Um, the company that says, hey, we all, we've always done it this way. They're the ones that don't go for the gap in between growth and decline. <laughs> and they enter their decline, and then they go, and teams hit rock bottom. And then they're like, okay, that mold doesn't work anymore. We got to change it. I think the Patriots, I think uh, the New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks, I think some of the best of the best, I think McDonald's, you know, they'll put in 30 drive throughs if need be. Whereas mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know, I'm not here to point anybody out or anything, but some restaurants, some companies that you see kind of fade or wash out. 
maybe they never changed their business plan. So I, I want to extend growth as long as I can for our program. And I've seen this quarantine as an opportunity to change while you're on top. So the last time we finished, you know, we finished, we went, we did go 0 and 2 in a barbecue in, in Omaha, but, you know, reached a goal for our program that, you know, we haven't done in a couple of decades. And I, I'm not scared to change while we're on top. I, I want us to come out of the quarantine stronger as opposed to like, hey, we went to a World Series. Let's just keep kicking this same narrative for a six year down the road until we enter decline. And um, we opt not to go to that point. So, I've asked our team, after those 20 speakers went, I asked them, we debriefed each one in smaller groups. And I'm like, you got to come up with three new words. I love you so much. I trust you so much. This is your program so much. I want you to create your own conviction and ownership. You come up with your three words. And I've been pleased with what they come up with to replace the words that were so dear to me. You know, when I think, uh, attack, man, I wore that out for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's an aggressive action and it, it keeps guys moving. Uh, attacks your default, you know, yeah. of laying down, man, dust yourself off, get back in it. Compete. Let's not attack be the default of our program. And I like just three words because it just limits confusion. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want our guys five, 10, 15 years from now making fun of me because they remember what was said. Mm-hmm. And if you say too much, and if you say something new every day, you know, it, it may not grab. Mm-hmm. But if you're just building off three core words, uh, the guys that have been around here these first five years, <laughs> they're going to remember Attack Legacy Vision. Um, and they came up with <laughs> confidence because I think they saw that in Bo Jackson. Mm. Superior confidence. I'm Josh wondering. Donaldson. You know, one of the players like, you know, if you had to have uh, three or four at bats against somebody, who do you think will just handle you? Josh perked up a little bit. He's like, hey, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I I don't think there's a a pitcher alive that can get me out three times in a row. That's awesome. And the point there is that confidence, is that cocky, whatever. But you know what? I want my 20 hitters thinking that. Absolutely. You think about that for a second. I want my daughters to feel that way. My my middle daughter wants to be a lawyer. I want her when she walks into something and is having to make a difference and present a case, I want her to feel like nobody can get her out. Mm -hmm. A person alive and balance it with humility. Uh, Don't get me wrong. There's a balance to this deal. But I've never coached a non-confident great player. Sure. I've coached some guys 95 choking on a five ERA uh, and confidence comes in different shapes and forms and personalities to where it looks cocky or there's a, the quiet confidence guy or there's the, the bull guy that kind of, you know, snorts and breathes and gets after it. But John Smoltz is a good one that you feel a whole, mu- whole bunch of humility, but man, he believed in his stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he went from being one of the best starters to one of the best relievers. And then even people within his organization didn't think he could come back and be a starter again. (laughs) And he proved them all wrong because his superior confidence, even when those in the same hut may have doubted it a little bit. um, These, my players come up the word confidence. 
I think that's going to be huge for us. Committed was the second word. And, you know, we, we got to find a way to be all in. And their third word, especially came up before all this racial injustice happened, uh, was unified. And I can't think of three better words. So I'm hitting their wavelength. I'm the only 50-year-old floating around the premises of Plainsman Park here at Auburn. Mm-hmm. So I got a whole group of their age group. But see, they got skin in the game now. They've come up with our whole mantra for this coming year. It's theirs. Mm-hmm. So as I start teaching off of this, they can't get mad. They come up with it. You know, they started this. It's theirs. And we're going to keep having them present as well. Uh, we've gone through a couple of books. Um, uh, Make Your Bed, uh, Admiral McRaven, you know, Navy SEAL. We love those books because it's usually simple, toughness, challenges, obstacles, <laughs> all these things that you have to go through. Uh, matches baseball so good because, you know, our game's so failure-oriented. You know, our best our best guys failing 70% of the time, you know, if he's a hitter in our program and uh, those guys just going through so much adversity and continuing to push and Roger that and getting right back in the ball game, getting right back in the next at, at bat or next pitch is just so good for, for a team to hear and, you know, to have our players teach the chapters on the oh. chapter review. And, and I know others are doing it. I just, I know a lot of people say they're going to do all this team building for their, their team, but it's the follow through. Sure. You know, it's one thing for us to have 20 speakers. It's another thing for us to take a whole other week and break down everything that those men said yes, sir. And, and put it into application. So everybody does all these things. I don't, Trey, I'm, I apologize to you that I may not give you anything new. No, man, I'm not looking. No, it's, it, I th- no, I think, and I've, I've explained it to other people too. Like, I think you can, you can give someone a plan, but it's it's also a matter of the engagement that you have with your players, you know, the relationships you have with them to, to be a, have them apply it. So it doesn't matter. Like they still need to own it. And like you said, yes, skin in the game to where now they want to own it, you know? And I think that's the culture. And that's what you seem to always have always been able to build a great environment. I just, you know, my definition of a coach is be, would be, you know, when Casey Mize left as the first pick overall uh, a couple of years ago and his Tanner Burns just leaves as a first-rounder, I'm done. I'll always be there for him. As a friend, um, I'm so excited how once they leave, our relationships change. You know, I'm not teaching them baseball anymore. But the point is, if you're going to evaluate yourself as a coach, let them come in, let them go through a whole cycle, and let them leave. If they still need you, I'm not sure we did the best job possible. I wanted Casey Mize when he left here to not need me anymore. That's being a servant leader. That's allowing that person to come there and turn into a man. Um, I hope they hear some of the things that we taught and that we said, but they don't need us. Um, that you're able to run your own show once you leave. If you still need, you know, coaches, um, I think about Tim Hudson, who's on our staff. You know, he goes on the Hall of Fame ballot next year. And he can he can play for the Giants. He can play for the Braves. He could play for all 30 teams. He didn't need a pitching coach floating around with him. Mm-hmm. He's an own coach. Because someday you got to be a husband and a father. Um, you got to run your own house. And you always got help. And you always got to have to be running with a couple of people that's stronger, 
more mature uh, to help guide you along. But man, our job as a coach is to not be this dictator, call all their pitches, just do what I say. You don't need to know why. Uh, I think it's pretty, with all the literature out there, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, we've talked about why. Um, I just, you know, I want to be the one asking why. That's my twist on it. Because I want them to take the ownership. I want them driving it. I want, like Jerry Weinstein says, we're just the guardrails. I want them to be like on the Autobahn. They're driving as fast as they can, like Jerry says. And we're just, we're the guardrails when they get too close to the edge or when they're about to run in the ditch, kind of kick them right back in the lane. Yeah, it's like the bowling alley bumpers. That's right. Hey, that's <laughs> better. Because I, I need those when I, when I yeah, bowl. Absolutely. But, um, it's everything to truly empower them or they'll get away from you. They'll graduate and they'll leave. And, and it happened to me. You know, everything I believe now is because of going through a couple of cycles and I'm like left empty. I didn't do enough for those guys. They're not equipped enough. What was it? And then those were adjustments. That's what experience really helps as a coach. Is you see a couple of cycles where, man, I could have done it better. I screwed that up. Uh, that guy did something special in spite of myself, but how can I make it better? Um, and those are some of the things of empowering these players to take ownership, get skin in the game, um, make them follow through. You know, they get beat down. It's like another class when they're like, man, this is like another, this is like the hardest class I'm taking. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. In some ways, I think it's powerful. Um, you know, I, I, I got my bachelor's, I got my master's, so, and my retention of some of my classroom, I'm sure everybody else hearing this that kind of walked that same road of a bachelor's and master's, they probably retained more than I did. Mm -hmm. But what shaped me the most and how to deal with people and, and, and how to try to make a difference and, and how to lead, I, I did learn from baseball. I did learn from playing college sports. I did learn from the game and uh, that's not taken away from anything. I think all of it is needed to, to build the experience, but that sporting experience was put here for the right reasons. And I hope we don't venture off to where, uh, you know, we lose sight and sports goes to a place that's not what it was originally intended to do. Mm -hmm. And that's to really help build somebody. It is amazing to do that. Now, I hope we don't lose that original intent of it's supposed to be part of the academic experience because it was for me. And it was for a lot of people. And it's almost like there's a lot of, a lot of guys and shoot, I was even just talking to a coach yesterday. And so how many, how many players can we say that, you know, we need the game more than the game needs them, you know? And I think that's a lot for a lot with students from even what they're experiencing their home life, you know, um, a bunch of things, you know, and that's why it's even so important to, for us to get out there and get playing now with all these things. And even for get the kids back in school. And it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more than just the, than just the learning of it. You know, you know, this has taught us balance too, right? Mm -hmm. because, you know, the world hadn't stopped. The sun keeps coming up and, you know, I haven't been with a baseball team in months. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity to reflect. I think everybody We've all worked through these stages personally through all this, uh, but there's been a reflection stage. And then it's like, hey, I need to be more about <laughs> there needs to be more to to myself than just baseball. Mm 
because that's gone and it's not as essential as I thought it was. <laughs> so I, I have to have more depth to myself. There needs to be more layers to, to my being than just baseball. And, uh, boy, that is, that has hit me like a ton of bricks. I think yeah. it hit a lot of us and, you know, baseball players too, but you know, this one hit home, you know, these players come and go and it's a small window of time and coaches think, Hey, we'll coach forever. And, you know, the players come and go and they only have so much time. And, you know, I get to coach for decades, you know, if, uh, if somebody will have me, you know, I get to coach for a long time. Boy, this stopped it in the tracks of thinking that way. This was a, a good pause and reflection to make sure that, you know, if I'm thinking about my own legacy, uh, it needs to be built around more than just uh, coaching baseball. Uh, and that's what this time's done for me personally. Do you think that your spring season next coming will look different than what it has with that in mind? Yes, I do. Uh, I, I do think there's going to be adju- some adjustments for a period of time. Um, you know, I'm sitting in SEC country and we're sitting here and really for most parts of the country, we're, we're all taking a back seat being a spring sport and we're allowing our fall sports, you know, pretty much headed up by football to, to roll in and we're going to follow the lead. We do have an opportunity to sit back um, and watch how this un- unfolds. Uh, I'm, you know, there's, there's soccer and then you'll lead into men's and women's basketball and we'll go on the heels of basketball, of course. And yeah, there's going to be some real adjustments. You know, there's been, I'm hopeful it, eases up by then, you know, I just, I take the one example of the ball, you know, like basketball, if they're, if they finally gave them a ball last week, but now they can't pass it to anybody yet. So they gave them a ball so you can do your dribbling and I guess you can shoot your free throws, three pointers, play horse or whatever, (laughs) but you can't pass it with teammates. Um, You know, football, they finally gave them a ball, but you know, they've got like this machine over there that they have to run it through a, 32-point inspection before it cycled back and they can use it again. Mm. Imagine a baseball. <laughs> Who else touching a baseball? And um, So I hope next spring, I hope that's cleared up a little bit by that yeah. time. And I think it will. And, I, uh, I, I think we're going to return to play. Um, it won't be full, I don't think. Again, I'm not Dr. Fauci. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a governor of a state. I'm, I'm just a baseball coach, but you know, we all got to chip in. If we want this bad enough to return, we all got to do our part. And, you know, some measurements we take are probably going to be too drastic. Some things we're doing are probably not enough. And we just got to, we got to make decisions with the information at the time and do the best we can. Mm-hmm. And just, just on the fly and quit throwing daggers at everybody when they, when somebody misses the mark by 3%. You know, you just, you make decisions with the information that you have and, and let's get back to returning to play, and let's just adjust on the fly. And I think that's what's going to be the biggest difference. I think it'll still be a baseball game. It'll be competitive. Uh, the fans are a huge element, you know. Uh, what's the ceiling on that? Is it, you know, by spring, is it 100%, 50%, 25%? I mean, who knows? Um, but I think the whole deal is just getting back to play and then working back to, to where we were before. Mm-hmm. we got to get started. Even if it's a half a step, let's get started and, and do the best we can. And But I don't think anybody knows what six months looks like. Things have changed so rapidly and so much over the last three months. Um, man, you got to be really sharp. you got to be the best fortune teller that ever walked the, the earth or have one of those pretty amazing uh, 
uh, you know, crystal balls, if you really can tell us what everything's going to look like mm-hmm. uh, specifically over the next six months or so. Yeah, I agree. It's really hard to, hard to tell. I'm just still, I want to stick in like when you said about perspective and, you know, the balance that you have, do you think that you will bring more balance into your life maybe personally or, you know, instill things that show guys, Hey, we're just take a, take a break here and pause and reflect. I have an awareness of it. And I guess that's what I speak of now. I'll apply it. I'll go like, man, I want to do better when I come out of this. Well, I take steps to really mean what I say. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing to the surface an awareness, but will I actually, you know, plan that out in my life? You know, uh, the worst feeling I've had in quarantine was uh, after about the first three weeks, um, you know, my wife's name Robin, and we, we have three beautiful girls, and we affectionately call them strike one, strike two, and strike three. <laughs> um, Want to be graduating in December uh, of this year. Um, the other one's got about a year and a half left. They both go to Auburn University. And then I have a ninth grader in high school, uh, Madeline, which is AKA Mad Dog. She's a soccer player and loves it. And, you know, she had an abbreviated season with her high school soccer team. And this is how many games I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, after those three weeks, we just spent all this time together because the first three weeks, man, we didn't know what was going on in the world. Right. You know? right. We all went and huddled up. And I'm talking about we were diligent for three weeks. I'm like, hey, I know you're college girls and y'all want to go be social and you want to jump out of the box. You're going to sit here until I feel comfortable. Uh, but at the end of those three weeks, I just set them all down on the couch, you know, like family meeting, mm-hmm. <laughs> family meeting. And I just told them I was sorry. I've been pursuing this baseball and I'd been justifying that like, hey, I'm providing for this family. So I'm gone and I can justify not getting to know my daughters as much, not having as deep a relationship as I should have or, or, or wanted to have, but I didn't take the necessary steps. And I just apologized to them. Uh, the oldest is just, uh, you know, the boy comes and asks for her hand and she got engaged during this quarantine. And oh, wow. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, again, Nice boy. I feel great about it. Uh, I look forward to our time together where I can, you know, beat some stuff in his head that I want in there before they get married. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I'm like, there was things I wanted to do with my older daughter. Our relationship's not exactly where I wanted it to be. And I've spent more time with some some awesome guys that I've worked with and some players over the last four years than I have my own. And uh, so when I say reflect, man, there's been some positive reflection. <laughs> there's been some negative reflection. And, and here I am, you know, thank you for the opportunity to visit with you this morning. And I've done, I've done them all, you know, over quarantine. I've, <laughs> I've been on Facebook lives and USA and, you know, state stuff and podcast after podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here and I'm like teaching and then I got this own challenge right in my lap with my, my girls. And um, so I, I say it as encouragement. And just because you bring awareness to something doesn't mean it's going to start happening. I, I got to get a plan for my girls. And, and I apologize to them. And uh, I, I really want to do better with that moving forward. And I want to be a – I want to serve Auburn University properly. 
I really do. I want to be the best steward I can. I want to work as hard as I can. I do want to provide for my family the best I can. Um, I want to be there for my coaches. I want them to fill their space. I want our players to reach their full potential. Um, but while there's still a little bit of time, I really want the category of my daughters to be part of that equation. Mm-hmm. Maybe moved ahead of some of this stuff, just like, you know, maybe relationship and my faith, you know, with, uh, with, with Christ, with uh, uh, all this stuff is reflection. And, you know, I, I got a lot of work to do. Um, and we there's all a lot do. of things in this world that, that we've just, we've been in our rat race and then all these things come up during this time that's sticking out like, man, you know, I played high school football and I've been through sports my whole career. It's, you know, it's 35 years now. We've just been heavily into sports and, uh, you know, I could have done more along the way on a lot of different things, but we were just running so quick. I, I want to come out of this thing and do as good a job, but have good balance in my life for myself. I do want to put my mask on for myself too. I want my quiet time to be better. I want to be able to take that walk where maybe I can live a little bit longer. I do want a lower resting heart rate as challenges come my way where I can help others more. And uh, all these things here, I'm trying to realign them. And you know what? As this thing's extending, I could handle it. But when we get back to a full 100%, right. maybe as we ease back into these phases, I can hold on to a better routine than what I had before. Right. And it's, it's definitely something I think that as a lot of people, I think the elite guys, you know, great guys like yourself, you know, time to reflect and think and be able to come through there. Cause it has, it, it got to a point where, you know, cause we're open which you know, summer, my, my son's starting to play baseball and, but then it got to a point where you were kind of, um, I want to say upset or just kind of depressed, like, Oh man, like we got to start running again, you know? And yeah. it's really, it's very, it was very, it's such a unique experience for sure. For sure. But, um, I was just, I, I guess that going back, if you want to, if you want to talk a little bit of baseball, talk a little baseball about what, what might happen in the, in the fall. And, um, you know, thinking about, you know, you're, I had a guy, I had a, actually, um, when you think about Smithsburg, I had a kid come to your drop-down camp. Are you still doing those? You know, we haven't done them in a few years, um, and we still get questions. Do you? You know, the whole drop-down thing came from whether you're a side armor or, you know, I just called it drop-down to kind of yeah. name something. I got to meet, you know, there's sidearmnation.com. There's yeah. Some of these things. What was what happened? The backstory, the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, where that came up with where I wanted to do that camp was, it originated with Ray Tanner, who's now the athletic director at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, they were in their back-to-back national championships and South Carolina, you know, yeah. pitching coach at Mississippi State, and I'm like, he's running these little drop-down guys are throwing, you know, eighty poo, eighty-two, <laughs> eighty-three miles per hour. And they're sitting there in Omaha at the College World Series, and I'm, I'm out recruiting. So I'm like Outback's my favorite recruiting restaurant of all time. So, you know, at eight or nine o'clock, I'm watching like South Carolina play uh, baseball in Omaha, and I'm out recruiting, and I'm eating my Outback meal, and I keep seeing these sidearm guys come in, 
with 50 appearances, with 40 appearances and, and, and doing great work is they're knocking out that back-to-back deal. And I'm like, I, I don't have that. We don't, we don't have, you know, I was a short, dumpy lefty and, you know, I just, I, I hadn't been exposed to that. I got to figure that out. I remember that desire of wanting to figure that out. So that's what prompted it. Um, secondly, I looked and said, I got two amazing friends. Chad Bradford was in the movie Moneyball. Mm-hmm. He's a Mississippi native. He lives down near Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and an amazing man, amazing person. But Hey, when somebody is gifted and become a big leaguer and they pitch for a long time and they pitch from something unorthodox, if you think, if you remember Chad Bradford, his knuckles he were all scraping the ground and up by where you at, you know, he was with the Orioles for yes, a while. He was. Yes, he um, was. And I'm like, he's a good friend. He's a great man. I'm going to go see him. <laughs> and then when I was at Auburn as an assistant back in the day, I think 2006, seven and eight, who's now my next door neighbor, this guy named Scott Sullivan, he has over 600 appearances second in Cincinnati Reds history a sidearm guy that was great for Hal Baird here at Auburn was a walk on eventually a second rounder and then enjoyed over nine year, had a nine year big league career. And I'm like, oh, I got over 600 appearances. I got 1200 appearances combined with two rock stars and I don't have what Ray Tanner's got. And I haven't provided that for Mississippi state or John Cohen. I, I need to figure out how to get that on our holster and in our tool belt, yeah. in our tool belt, if you will. So I said, hey, Chad, Scott, I need to meet with y'all on this. I want to learn more about it. And I'm like, why don't we do a camp? And I'm like, yeah, I should have thought of that a long time ago. But So we started, and we run like four of those in a row, and Scott would come from Auburn, Alabama, and Chad would come up. And uh, we closed it at 75 because they just didn't want too many guys. They didn't want a meat market. They wanted a connection. Sure. They wouldn't help. Absolutely. So we would spend a day before the camp building it. Um, and that was where I learned. That was the eight hours of learning of me starting to, you know, take in this information and see how to apply it and see how to coach it, how to teach it. And we did that for four years. And then we wound up getting players to come to us out of that camp. We wound up getting a word out across the country to where, you know, families, coaches, would want to know more and and they were like recruit us we know that you respect the drop down type pitcher uh-huh. it became a niche and uh I, like i said as of today probably as as soon as a month ago people are saying are you going to do the drop down camp again so yeah. with losing our camps for the summer and everything i, I think that'd be a great camp to go back to and uh because i learned so much and we still have two in our program today do you? I was wondering if you're still recruiting those guys. If not for that journey, I just, you know, I, I, I like I like peacock feathers when you think about a staff where you might have a lefty all the way around. Yeah. All the different arm slots make a complete pitching staff. And, and really, I got a peacock that he doesn't have any lower wings right now, but we got <laughs> maybe three-quarter <laughs> wings all the way to a couple of both of our – uh, drop down guys are right-handed right now, but you know, when you're putting this stuff on paper, you know, you kind of think about those peacock feathers and you'd love a slot from every one of these 
places if you're developing pitchers and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I learned some amazing things. Just, you know, if somebody's coming on here wanting baseball stuff, you know, it's just like if you're walking down the halls of school, you know, you're, you're walking straight up and down. You're not walking bent over. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be a drop-down pitcher, you, you kind of bend at the waist. Yeah. Because what they impressed upon me is if you're a, a traditional right-handed thrower, you know, you're going to have your posture in a certain position. But as your slot goes down, your posture is matching it. So really, whether you're down here or you're here, it's the same ratio of your shoulder to your elbow to your hand. It's just your posture makes the adjustment. That was a huge teach. That really helps those guys. And then, you know what, um, if you're talking about strength conditioning, you know, you have to do more of the core, the lower back with those guys if you're going to individualize a program because walking upright is a stronger position, and that's why we do it. Anytime you put you, – you go to that bent-over posture, that's a weaker position. So all your dead bugs and all these things you need to be doing with stability and all that is huge for the drop-down pitcher because you must accept a weaker position when you're in that drop-down deal. Because what happens with a drop-down pitcher when they're young? They bend over, and as soon as they start to deliver the baseball, they pop up because your body naturally organizes and your body's amazing. All it's trying to do is get back to that strong position. Your body's just always making natural adjustments. Your front, your front side flies open early because your brain says, Man, we're late, and we got to deliver this baseball. (laughs) And the best way to do it is clear that front side. If the arm's on time, the front side will stay. But the body's just trying to help. And so that drop-down pitcher, we have to get them to stay down and stay in it, you know, because your body's trying to get back to that strongest position. That was huge, and you really got to keep that same ratio. And a lot of people, when they drop down, they just do the arm, and they don't do the posture. And, but, and you lose that ratio. When we can get the ratio, when we can get them to accept the lower position, and then if you go to the ground, because, hey, most things start from the ground up and the inside out. You're trying to gather energy and deliver in a straight line. But that foot that's on the if you can get the back spike, if you can get your back spike in the, in the ground, you got a shot. Because a lot of your drop-down guys, when they go bend over, those right-handed drop-down guys, they wind up, their weight goes to their toe instead of being in that back spike. And when that weight goes to the toe, then that guy, instead of moving in that lane, in that lane between the rubber and the plate, when they get on the toe, now they start moving that right-handed batter's box or slightly toward third base. And that's why that young drop-down right-handed pitcher, he hits so many of the same side batters when he first Ooh, starts because sure. he's on his toe and he hits that right-hander. Um, and then we just had other guys through the years start start coming in and um, helping us out and uh, guys that had pitched a bunch. And, you know, for the drop-down guys, really most of them, <clears throat> they spend all their time throwing glove side because they're going to miss on arm side so much because they're a drop-down guy. So, so when I practice it, you know, I've had a couple of those guys that pitched for a long time like, I don't even practice arm side. When I get in a game, it's going to naturally show up anyway. Or when I get to my first set of fatigue, it's going to show up anyway. 
Sure. I think that's why you see a lot of those guys as relievers, not starters. The first onset of fatigue sometimes comes sooner because you're you're beginning, you're starting to pitch from a weaker position, uh, if you will. And, uh, you know, Ken Tocovi always talked about, you know, I had to really focus on the opposite hitter, you know, the lefty, um, because he's seeing the ball for so much longer. Mm-hmm. You're not scared of him. You got confidence. Um but you better have a plan. You might have to set your pitches up a little bit more. When you're a really good drop-down guy, if you're right on right, man, you just carve them. You just eat their lunch because that's mm-hmm. who you are. That's why the coach is bringing you in the ball game. That's right. But if you want to stay in the game, as soon as that other coach drops back-to-back lefties, he announces a pinch hitter lefty, and he brings one on deck. The only way for you to stay in the game and get through those next two hitters is you better have a plan to take the sting out of the swing against that opposite hitter. Or you're only going to face those two righties and coach is going to take you out and bring the lefty. Yeah, uh, I remember that was a, like a thing like thinking about Bradford and like O'Day. That was one thing I think that's as they progressed, is that what they were they were starting starting to be able to get left-handed hitters out? You know, it's like level, level one, level two, level yeah. three. And you might get hung up in one level for a long time. And then when you get to level two and level three, I, you know, had an All-American and – I guess probably the best drop down guy. He was a left hander and, you know, he was a traditional guy for three years and, you know, he's got like a six ERA and we dropped him down and he didn't want to because of the draft and all the things that I'd be thinking the same thing. Um, but, you know, he could only get the lefties as soon as a righty got up, we were like, we better take him out because the balls were, you know, blowing every gap on the field, but he wound up, you know, beating a great, great, I remember in 13, we beat a, Virginia team in a super regional, and I have all the respect. I think O'Connor and, and those guys that wound up winning the national championship in 15. Mm-hmm. And they had a ton of great left-handed uh, hitters that were young, and we barely got in and out of there. But it was because of two lefties and this drop-down guy. And he had figured out from the beginning of the season where we had to get him out versus right-handed hitters to the end of the season, now he could go four or five innings because he'd figured out how to get those righties out. Mm-hmm. And it changed everything, and it, and it helped our program get to Omaha and get through a team like that. Um, and his was different. Uh, his was like if, we, uh, if he threw a slider to a right-hander, it, it was amazing. I can't even explain it. If we threw a fastball after the breaking ball, the hitter was always on time. The right-handed hitter was always on time and smoked it. It's not always a delivery adjustment. Mm-hmm. What we started doing with him was when we threw a breaking ball, whether we landed it or not, we chased it with a with a with a changeup. Changeup. I'm not even sure I'm a huge changeup guy for a drop down guy. It's so hard to maintain. It is. Keep sure. up. You know, it's almost a waste of time. But everybody's got their own individual <laughs> recipe, if you will. And what Chad figured out, we figured out is it wasn't a mechanical thing that wound up unlocking the right-handed hitters. It was after every slider, we would chase it with a changeup. It would get them heavy to the front foot. It would get them out front. It wasn't the best changeup in the world, but he got them off of smoking every fastball that come after a slider. And they got off. It was ground ball. It was taken. Um, but then inevitably, you know, after the slider and putting that changeup in there, we didn't get beat up anymore. And then it seemed like, okay, now you have the freedom to throw the fastball. 
And now the fastball seemed to have another foot. Instead of everybody being on time for it, it got on hitters. And it's amazing. It's not always a mechanic. Sure. And that's what I just – I figured that out as a pitching coach. And then when I say that to pitching coaches, they look at me like, yeah, I'm not following you, big guy. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you. And then I said, well, you know, take out your sheet of paper. Autograph your name 50 times. You can't even sign your name the same way twice. This repeatable mechanic thing is tough. You better be working with a lot of 35 to 40-year-olds because those are the ones that repeat it the most. Those are the guys that have been performing the skill for 40,000 hours. But to ask somebody 12, 13, 14, 18, 19, 20, of course we're trying to repeat something and throw out of the same window and create the tunneling and the sharing space, but it's just impossible. It doesn't happen. You know, and that's, I'm running that through the ASMI clinic. I'm running that through, you know, all these guys through all these years. Cause I was in Birmingham at Birmingham Southern where I started and Dr. Glenn Fleisig, who is the biomechanical guru of the whole free world and going over there and hooking these people up and doing motion analysis first. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just, nobody's ever repeated the same delivery twice. So will you, so with taking, with taking that, are there red flags where you change somebody's mechanics or are you still just trying to stay external or making sure they're sequenced the right way? Do you, you have know, a process that you step by before you get to that mechanic? I do believe in good mechanics versus bad mechanics. Like if I see something, at least now going next year, will be 30 years, you know, and the majority of this being a pitch and coach, um, there's some things that I see in a, that I would see that another pitching coach would see and have no problem. But there's some things I see with maybe an elbow or when the front foot hits, there's something that I, that I just couldn't fix. And this pitching coach right next to me might be able to fix it like that. But I, I, I've gotten to the point more where I, I look like, I look at things where like I've had success in that flaw, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or I've, I've, I've not had success with helping somebody that exhibits this. So I, I'm trying to use, I only want to partner with people that want to partner with me and people that I think I can help develop. Um, and I do think, don't get me wrong, I do think mechanics are important. Good mechanics are better than bad mechanics. Staying healthy is better than breaking down mm-hmm. all the time. Um, teaching somebody how to throw 200 innings. I still don't know how you go about that. I think there's, I think some of these bodies are just, you know, engineered with some gifts. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's just like, I hear about some of these uh, elite marathons, these ultra marathons of a hundred miles. I just, how your body, the body's amazing. Uh, but to build up to that and how you train to execute something like that. I know it goes to this mind. I know this is a tool. This is the most important tool. And I'm not saying mechanics isn't important, but I'm saying people go overboard on the mechanics so much of something that you really can't specifically repeat every time. And it takes away from how important this is or how much time needs to be spent developing this. Again, I guess I'm getting back to balance. Um, Your mechanics improve by working your guts out for years and years and years and years. That's how your mechanics really improve. Your arsenal works itself out 
because of the time that you spend in performing your craft. You take the next step as a pitcher when you figure out who you are. So another big thing for amateur and really young pitchers is they're trying to be somebody they saw on TV and it changes every week. You know, what, is, what did Bruce Lee say? I'm not scared of the man that's done uh, 10,000 kicks one time, changing every day. I'm scared of the man that's done one kick 10,000 times. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know what kick to specifically master. And I think a pitcher, when he knows exactly like uh, – I think of Kendall Graveman. He'll be coming out with the Seattle Mariners. He missed last year. The two years prior, he threw opening day for the Oakland A's. was one of my guys. And uh, no spin. It was like 1,900, 2,000. And I'm like, okay, Kendall, you're the best sinker ball pitcher in America. Yeah, that's right. He gave him an identity. Yeah. Every time we'd go up in the zone here, he's backing up all our bases and he can't figure – got to figure that out. And He's so stubborn. He's so competitive. He kept just trying to throw up there. I'm like, no, hey. And that's how we've used the track. I remember the first year that track man got in college baseball, we're one of eight schools that were blessed with getting it because they thought we would, you know, really turn it out and use it. So we're, we're blessed to be one of the schools that got it. And – that was the jump. That's what we figured out. And I'm like, hey, let's quit going up there. You're competing. Enough's enough. Go be the best sinker ball pitcher in America. Let's go mm-hmm. slide your ground ball. You know, and that that boy threw a, a game in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, with 21 ground ball outs on an infield to win wow. a ball game. Wow. So, but you know what? The first year and a half, we didn't know who we were. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of a mess. And we were changing every week. We're hunting for something. So mechanics are great. But if you're not building your mind, if you don't know who you are, I'm just saying you're wasting a lot of time. Sure. And if you work hard, your mechanics are going to work out over time anyway. And you know what? Where you're trying to get to, if you're going to be the best in the world, you're trying to get to autopilot. You're trying to get to where you're thinking about nothing. When you go 10 for 10, there's no thought. It's like see ball, hit ball. It's uh, when you're throwing – Chris Stratton, he's with the Pirates now. Um, he was the SEC Pitcher of the Year 2012. And he hadn't started a game. We had played four non-conference weekends. And the guy that he was piggybacking off of, he was going right behind one guy on every Friday. Um uh, the guy goes down, turned his ankle, knee or something, PFP, something ridiculous, something just to make you mad as a coach heading into the first SEC weekend, right? <laughs> yeah. The way it always happens. So Chris draws a start, first start of the year. Um, and, he, again, this is in, at LSU, and I this is an indictment on LSU. This is, like, how amazing of a place it is. It's one of my favorite places in the world and why I've been blessed for two decades to be in this league because I cherish it. If you want to compete, it's a place to go compete and it's at night and it's amazing. And uh, they got their big leaguer, Kevin Gosman, I guess is who's matching up head to head with, uh, with Stratton. And this is an opportunity for Stratton. He hadn't even been starting. He's been piggybacking behind the starter. It's amazing. So Gosman brings all, he brings all of major league baseball there. And it's the first SEC weekend, and Stratton strikes out 17 batters in nine innings. 
Um, you know, 17 strikeouts is a lot of pitches. So we go take him out in the ninth inning. And those 10,000 people stood up and gave him a standing ovation coming off that field. And here's how competitive the Southeastern Conference is. You strike out 17 and you lose a two-to-one ball game in 11 innings. Mm. That's that's how competitive Southeastern Conference is. What a great night he had. <laughs> but he's going head-to-head with Galsman. Special night for, for Stratton. Get back to the hotel. I got my pizza. I'm, you know, I'm 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 in shock. How do you lose that game? You know, I'm sitting here playing out my mind. Um, and Chris calls me. Coach, can I come to your room? I'm like, yeah. So here I'm as he's coming to my room, that interim, those moments, I'm like, okay, he's banged up. He feels his arms hurt. Um, and he sits on the side of the bed with me. And he's like, Coach, I can't remember the third through the eighth inning. No, that's awesome. It was such a blur. I can't remember it. And I'm like. That's what you work towards. About to be the best pitcher in the SEC. And he wound up those next nine starts. And you got people like Kevin Gosman in this league. And Chris Stratton is the SEC pitcher of the year. Because he finally got to that autopilot moment. And I just, I love for pitchers to get to that moment. You know, Casey Myers throwing a no-hitter for us. And and we pursue that. And we talk about pursuing that. But if all you're thinking about is where your your arm and your leg, and it, it it is important. But if it dominates the thought, you can't ever get to no thought. You can't ever get to that autopilot where the best in the world gets. Jordan can be off balance. Um. And, and you just get into that autopilot type deal. Um, that's what I want to stress is like, make sure you know what you're trying to get to. And mechanics are good. That's never not been my point. I just want you to know where the, where the aha land is, where the promised land is from a pitching standpoint. And it's centered around subconscious motion. It's centered around like riding a bike. It's centered around like, my focus is not here anymore. My focus is down there. My focus is taking the sting out of his swing. My focus is sucking all the life out of, out of his gathering rhythm. And now you start seeing the game at a deeper level. And once you can get there and you ever hit that autopilot, when you can ever really start dissecting guys, I think that's where when I talked to Glavin and uh, uh, Tim Hudson, they got there. They got the autopilot, and they knew how to how to take it out of them. And when your focus is always right there on yourself, you're missing so much of the game needed where I think the best are getting to. Uh, absolutely. So I guess my question as a coach, are there scenarios or is there things that you play out when you're having bullpen work or things like that that help them get external, get, get competitive? Do you try to put them as many competitive – situations as possible yeah because the first 15 years man i recorded them from the from behind from the side from the backside, um and we'd break that down for hours i'm out on it i'm out so you video from behind them up where all you can see is like the ball in the glove where they're deciding what pitch and you see if they have conviction or not 
by what grips they're fumbling around on. But you can't see their delivery. You can see whether they got a grip or not. It's kind of over their shoulder. And then what you can see out ahead is the hitter. Mm-hmm. And we put like a volleyball scores table, the count and the outs. So they can't see themselves. And it's their pin. But they can see their conviction. They can see the count. They can see the hitter. They can see the catcher's mitt. And see what type of precision they threw with. You know, <laughs> Roy Oswalt can miss this much, and he's mad. And we got a, I got a lot of amateurs that miss this much, and it don't bother them. They're going back to their foot or their glove or something because they're dominated with them, the mechanics too much. The best in the world, buddy, they don't want to miss this much. That's precision. So you have to hold yourself accountable to precision. But if you're thinking about your mechanics too much, maybe you're not – Folks, and you just missed the whole half of the plate, big guy. Mm-hmm. And if you're overly focusing on your mechanics, you can't see that. So that's a great way. Let's video in a different way to where they see what really matters. You see how you got that hitter off time right there? Oh, he didn't like that ball in. You see that where it's caught? Hey. Woo! He, he swung that. He stayed on balance. He just drove that to the pull side. Oh, oh it's 2-1. It's 2-0. Let the count associate with the contact and the hardness of the contact. And I don't know. I just, I feel like everybody's been watching their mechanics from the front side and the back side for long enough. And I go, uncle, let's, let's go figure out the game. Mm-hmm. Let's take the next step. <laughs> you want to be a big leaguer? Let's go learn a couple of these other things. You just spent all these years, you just spent a decade on this. If you don't have it by now, well, how am I going to get it for you the next three years of watching video? I'm done. <laughs> you had 10 years to do that. Mm-hmm. Let's go figure out the game. Let's go find your game. Let's go find who you are. And then, so that's my number one way. If you really want to get somebody to focus on some other aspects of the game that you want. And it's pretty neat when they're seeing themselves compete, but they can't, they can't evaluate their delivery because it's not on. It's not on camera. Yeah. I think it's a funny way to, to kind of get a mind shift for, for some young players coming into our program. Yeah, I think it, it's, it, that's, like you said, it's, it's what really matters too, you know, and it just, when it comes down to that, you're, yeah, it's, it's. No, it's I, got a, Greenhill. He's a, I got a guy that's an All-American coming back. He throws across his body too much. I'm so scared that if I lined him up right now after three years, I let that happen. I let that go. But righties can't get a good swing off of him. And he saved so many ball games for us. He threw the last pitch for us to go to Omaha. If I line him up, I think I'm going to make him more hittable. And I think I'm going to make him more susceptible to injury. And I believe that. Yeah. And, so and those peacocks. Right, yep. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not here to say I'm right or wrong. I'm not here professing anything. I'm not, I'm not here trying to make money off my farm or off of a ball or off of a rope or tying anybody up and making them bounce in a circle. I'm not saying I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I'll always be wondering if I'm doing the right thing with Cody Greenhill for him and by him. But I think I am. You, know, you kind of got to go with your convictions and believe that. And, uh, you know, so – it's amazing. It's a, at the end of the day, we have all this, we have more information that it, 
Edgertronic camera's awesome now, and the Rap Soto, and the Track Man, and here comes Jacker Tech, and, you know, we got virtual reality, and buddy, I want it all. But at the end of the day, you, you take some of these things to maybe help somebody find their identity or help them with their game, but you know, there's still a gut feel to this thing. Somebody's mm-hmm. still got to make a decision at the end of this thing, either a player or a coach, or you got to be unified in making it. But, hey, we're not there yet. Somebody's still got to make a decision which way we're going to go with this thing. Are we going to line back up, make you more vanilla? Are we going to make you more susceptible to injury? Or, you know, usually when it's broken and I can't give an opportunity on the mound anymore, that's when I'm more apt to go go change something, if that mm. makes any sense. Yes, sure does. Ooh, this has been incredible, Coach. I just can't thank you enough. I know that you have a call here, so – um, way of going, but I just I can't thank you enough for the opportunity and speak to you. You're such a, you know, a mentor to many, mentor far for me, and I'm just I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to speak to you today. Well, I just appreciate you wanting to spend time. I know it's uh, kind of go way back where we've crossed paths, and for mm. you to circle back around and give me the opportunity to share with your listeners and and to you know spend a good hour with you. You know, I'm thankful for that. Thank yes, you. sir. Yes, sir. Is uh, if you'd like, uh, if if anybody would like to maybe contact you, like you know, ask about more of the piggyback system and things like that, would you? Uh, I, I'm wide open, and I think the easiest way is my email. If okay. They really want to. It's Butch Thompson at Auburn.edu. It's okay. all lowercase Butch Thompson at Auburn.edu, and I think that's easy and it allow me to get back to them. You know, when we can. That'd be awesome. That'd be amazing. Yep. So I just, again, coach, I can't thank you enough and I wish you the best with all this and I hope you do come out and I'm sure you will come out stronger from all, after all this. I do too, man. Be rooting for me. Uh, yes, sir. We'll try to do it, but uh, thank you. I, I enjoyed that. Another great episode here. And just can't thank you enough for staking with us. And I hope that you were able to get some valuable information from Coach Thompson in our conversation. Uh, just a couple of things that really just stood out to me is just the true authentic- authenticity of Coach Thompson, the vulnerability that comes out when he speaks about his players, about himself, what he's trying to do to get better. Um, gets us so passionate about pitching. He's passionate about it. He talks about his players and helping them get better. Um and just his beliefs, um, it, it's just, I love, I love how he talked about it, getting into autopilot, you know, that no thought, you know, there's a lot of times when you get into people and they say, well, how'd you, what were you thinking? Like, I, I wasn't thinking anything. You just, you just did it. And I think that's autopilot is, is something to, um, to discuss with kids and, you know, making sure that we're always there. Yes, well, I know we should be thinking at times, but a lot of times we need to shut that off and just hopefully we've gotten to a point we can trust our training and just get on autopilot. And I thought that was great advice from Coach Thompson. And, um, you know, I, I've always I've always admired what he talked about, building his identity or helping pitchers build their identities, something that I've taken from him from other clinics that I've heard him speak. And... Um, you know, is really trying to help kids figure those out because a lot of times kids aren't as successful because they're trying to train like someone else and not necessarily knowing who they are. You know, they're trying to throw up in the zone when they need to be down in the zone. You know, we're trying to make people into vocal leaders when they're not, and it's okay. They need to be 
know their identity, know how to be successful, so then we can train that accordingly and to help them be successful. So, again, I can't thank Coach Thompson enough. I just truly appreciate the time that you were able to give us here on our podcast, on the Better Man, Better Ballplayer podcast. And, um, again, if you'd like to reach out to Coach Thompson for anything that you might need some further explanation about or questions you might have, like he mentioned in the, in the podcast, his email is the best way to reach him at butchthompson at auburn.edu. Uh, so please feel free to uh, share this episode. Please email me with any questions, feedback that you have about the episode or future episodes at treytcobb at gmail.com. And if there's anything I can do to help, please reach out. And I just wanted to, again, thanks for sticking with us. And I hope that you continue to get better. And we'll see you next week.